Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. So we continue looking at the book of Acts, and then also continue looking at um, this passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 15, that we actually started last week uh, with this... Um, kind of, well, there's no other way to say it than this division that was taking place in the church. Uh, So just to give you a little recap as you're turning over to Acts chapter 15, uh, what you'll see in this is that the the division arose in the early church from uh, the discussion from the Pharisees and the Gentiles, the new believers, over whether the new believers uh, needed to be circumcised or not. And there were some people that wanted to drag them back under the law of Moses. And there were some people that wanted to live under the grace of God. And some people that wanted to say, hey, the law of Moses has been around for some time. Uh, We've not been able to fulfill that uh, law of Moses. Uh, Instead, what we want to do is we want to experience in every area of our life the grace of Jesus Christ. And so if you take a look at Acts chapter 15... And take a look specifically at verse 11. Let me, I'll put it up on the screen for you here. This is where Peter steps in after Paul and Barnabas go up to Jerusalem. They get the apostles and the founders of the church, or the leaders of the church together. And they said, hey, here's what we're wrestling with. Peter speaks up. Peter says, but we believe, verse 11 of Acts 15, but we believe that we'll be, but let me start over here. Take two, if you will. Uh, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. And so here, as Peter and the apostles and the leaders of the church in Jerusalem are presented with this problem that's taking place in the church in Antioch, they had to come to some resolution. Because what was happening is the enemy had stepped into the church and was beginning to cause some division. And if you've ever been around the church or anywhere in life at any period of time, What you will experience, it's guaranteed. Every one of us will experience the enemy stepping into the situation so that he can actually cause division. Because the enemy knows that unity is only something that can be experienced in the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen? Unity cannot be experienced outside of the presence of Jesus Christ. And there are times that we may think that we're unified... But if we are not experiencing unity in the presence of Jesus Christ, then we may be unified around the wrong things. You can be unified around the wrong things, but in the presence of Jesus Christ, where Christ is the head of the church, where he is the leader and Lord of all of our lives, then we are unified together inside of his his presence. And so what Peter and the apostles were actually saying here is just what we said last week. It's Jesus only. It's only the grace of Jesus where we can be saved. And so this issue had to be resolved. And uh, this issue arose in the Antioch church. 
The Antioch church was where they were first actually believers, were actually called Christians. Now, that was an insult that was spewed upon the Christians, that they were, they were these Christ followers. They were Christ followers because they had experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. But the Antioch church, if you remember some of the things that we've studied over the last several weeks, the Antioch church really was walking in alignment and under the authority of Jesus Christ and experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit. The scripture reminds us that they were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. They were walking with the Lord. And you see this body of believers in Antioch that are so unified that they're sending out missionaries. The people who hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ are getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. There are people that are beginning to operate in the spiritual gifts inside of the church. There are people's lives that are being changed and they're walking away from sin. The Antioch church was experiencing some new worship. There were rich and poor people together. There were Jews and Gentiles actually being together. There were people of various, uh, various political persuasions. And this was the right moment for the enemy to step into the church and begin to bring about some division. Because the church was on mission the church, was doing the church in Antioch was doing exactly what God had ordained and dreamed that it would do. And as we begin to walk on mission as a church, Whitechapel Church, and as each one of us begin to experience the spiritual gifts actually working in and through us, and people give their life to Christ, people are surrendering to Him, we see people from different ethnic backgrounds, we see people from different um, economic backgrounds, political backgrounds actually begin to come to Jesus, what happens is the enemy attacks and he always wants to divide. And so it's important for every one of us in relationship with Jesus Christ to understand and be aware that the enemy always attacks so that he can divide. It goes all the way back to what he did in the original sin in Genesis chapter 3. What happened is the enemy stepped into conversation with Eve and then with Adam and said, did God really say that? Well, what the enemy was doing was causing division. Because if the enemy can get us to doubt the things that God has spoken to us, then there's no way in the world that we, we, that we will ever be unified. That we will ever be able to experience this concept of unity that they actually had in the Antioch church. It didn't matter if you were rich or poor, you were Jew or Gentile, you were uh, uh, conservative or liberal or whatever other label that we actually want to put onto us. When we become brothers and sisters united under the umbrella of Jesus Christ, saved by His grace and filled with His Spirit, we are His children. And when we are His children, we walk in the obe under the obedience of what the Spirit actually says to us as we experience His presence. And that unity is what the enemy wants to separate and to break it. And he's doing it here in the Antioch church. They get the council together. They say, just as they were saved by grace, we're actually saved by grace. We're not living under the law. And I want to encourage you to be a part of our Wednesday night study on the book of Revelation. 
because this is one of the things that we'll actually talk about on Wednesday night. We'll meet in here at 6.30. If for some reason you're not able to be here, it is going to be live streamed on our YouTube page. Those will be saved there. You can go back and you can catch that. There are no books that you have to buy. There's nothing. You just come and be a part of that because one of the things that we're going to talk about is what actually happened with the law. It's spelled out in the revelation of Jesus uh, in this series of revelations uh, that John was actually given, uh, that he actually wrote for us. Jesus came and fulfilled the law so that we don't have to live under that bondage anymore. But instead, that yoke was set free. And we were adopted into his body and actually become his sons and his daughters. And that's why the enemy wants to separate us and actually divide us. Because the enemy wants to be the Lord of our lives. But we don't take the bait from the enemy. We sit in the presence of God, uh, drinking in his goodness, and then living that out in our life. So, um, follow along with me here. In the book of Acts, chapter 15, we're going to start reading at verse number 22 and read down to verse 35. So we actually read last week of Peter's message, it's Jesus only, it's grace alone. So they come to this agreement. Well, now that agreement has to be communicated to the church in Antioch. And this is that communication where they actually write a letter back. Verse 22 of Acts 15. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter. Here's the letter, and listen. Here's their verdict, and we're going to dissect this and see actually how they actually got to this agreement. So whenever there's disunity, whenever there's division, what happens is we don't let the division separate us. The church in Antioch easily could have become the first church of Antioch and then a separate church called the True Gospel Church of Antioch. They could have divided and said, well, you guys believe this, we'll believe this, and we're going to be separate. But they didn't allow that to happen. Here's the communication. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Celia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear brothers Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to, the, to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained at Antioch, 
where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. So it actually sounds here like, well, this is just a follow-up from the previous. And while it is, what we actually get here is the blessing from Luke recording the letter that was actually sent in this major division that was taking place in the church of Antioch. And so what we see is the enemy attacking to uh, destroy the unity in the church and the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem saying, hey, we want to bring you guys back together, recognizing that we're all a part of the same family of God. We're all brothers and sisters, and we just want to resolve this with the truth that Jesus actually has given to us. What we see is unity taking place. And catch this, true unity is only possible when we are all spending time in the presence of God. That's filled with the Holy Spirit. So think again of what what has happened. Jesus came to die to fix the sin problem that man was separated from God. And then when that sin problem was fixed, he then gave us on the day of Pentecost the blessing of being able to be filled with his spirit. Well, what is his spirit? That's his actual presence. And so then therefore we then become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And whenever we are experiencing the presence of God, whenever we become the temple, whenever we are filled with his spirit, that's where true unity is found. And outside of the presence of God, there is no unity. God is what has gifted us with unity. That unity that was experienced with God and Adam and Eve in the garden was restored on the cross and then on the day of Pentecost. And the enemy is stepping back into the situation thinking that he then can divide God's children, his sons and his daughters, so that the enemy can win. This is back to that original sin. And what he does today is no different than he's done for the last 6,000 or so years where he wants to divide us so that he can then take us as prey. But we have to be aware that this is how the enemy attacks. He always wants to divide so that he can win. But we have to strive for true unity. That has to be at the forefront of everything that we do. And so our family has had the privilege of being a part of this ministry for about two and a half years now. After we came, one of the things that I wrestled with the Lord, and and I prayed diligently about God, you birthed this church for a reason. Every church that God has planted, and we think we plant, we don't, uh, we're just his laborers. He's the one that does the planting. If we're the ones doing the planting, then maybe we ought to consider whether we should be planting or not. However, God in planting this church, in birthing this church, actually had some dreams for this place. And so I prayed and I wrestled with what are the dreams that you have for a Whitechapel church? Of why would you put a church here in the middle of fields, in the middle of a place where there's not even a town? South Daytona wasn't even here yet. This was nothing land out here and dirt roads ever. Why, God? What were you actually doing in the 30s whenever this place was birthed? The number one thing that the Lord took me back to over and over and over was so that we in Whitechapel Church could experience unity in this place and we could live it out in here so that people who don't know the unity of God would be actually drawn to him. 
Because there's something about unity in God's presence that draws people in a world that is divided actually to Jesus Christ to experience that unity. And if you haven't noticed, we are living in a very, very divided world. And the enemy has uh, stepped into uh, our religious institutions and is now dividing our religious institutions. And we as God's children have to stand up and say, listen, we are not going to stand for division in the body of Christ. We are going to stand for unity and we are going to be united together inside of the body. We have to be aware so that we know how the enemy is actually attacking. And so we actually take the lie from the enemy that being unified means that we are all a bunch of cookie-cutter Christians. Well, how boring would that be if we all look like me? It'd be horrible. It'd be horrible. Or what if we all look like you? Maybe not as bad, maybe a little bit better. But we're not cookie-cutter cookie Christians. We are not a bunch of robots that God controls. We are flesh and blood created for God's pleasure and for His will. And we must walk in unity with Him. Now, that doesn't mean that we agree on absolutely everything. I'm certain, if you've been around this place very long, you, should, you could probably tell about some disagreements that arose within the body. And maybe you haven't been around here very long. Maybe you've been around other churches for some period of time. And you could probably tell about some divisions that actually arose inside of the body. As long as there are people, there are always going to be disagreements. In fact, on the way to church this morning, Abby actually rode with me, and she was pointing out that now she's going to be in the eighth grade. She's very excited about that. And so she counted out that in five more years, she's not going to be around, uh, she didn't use these words, these, are, these would be my words, she's not going to be around silly kids anymore. Um, and I said, oh, Abby... <laughs> Oh, Abby, what you don't realize is the 30 kids that are in your class that you think are silly are only preparing you for the hundreds of other sillies that you're going to experience in the rest of the world. As long as there's people, there's always going to be disagreement. That, that's how it always is. But you know what? We don't let our disagreements in the body of Christ when we're experiencing his presence, we don't let our disagreements divide us. We put our preferences on the back seat and we walk forward with Christ as the head of the church, giving him all of the glory and giving him all of the honor. And so I, I could take us back over the years of the church, over the, the past several decades, and one of the great divisions in the church, not just this church, but in every church really around the world, has been the division over, over music, the division over pews or the division over chairs. And I have some opinions on those things, but you know what? They're my opinions. And I've decided to put my opinions on the back burner and sacrifice self so that I can do everything I can to make an environment where people are walking in unity in the body of Jesus Christ. I don't care if this carpet is red, blue, pink, or orange. If it is orange and it draws people to Jesus Christ, let's get some orange carpet in here. I don't care if we have stained glass windows or non-stained glass windows. Oh, I may have said the wrong thing there, right? <laughs> um, 
If there is something that we need to do to be joined together in unity that draws people to Jesus Christ, that's what we have to do. And we don't lead with our personal preferences. We lead with the presence of Jesus Christ. Because whenever we lead with personal preference, we have left Jesus out of the equation. And you know what the dividing thing was here at the beginning of Acts chapter 15? It was a personal preference or a personal interpretation and a total misrepresentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we do is we unify ourselves under the gospel umbrella and then, and then we move forward asking the head of the body what his preference is. You know what? I grew up in, I've shared with you, I grew up in a church that really was divided over so many different things, silverware being one of those things, seriously, it really was. And I think that Jesus doesn't care if we use silverware or if we don't use silverware. I think Jesus doesn't care if the carpet's red, blue, orange, pink, or green. He doesn't care about those things. What Jesus cares about are souls. And what we have to care about in the presence of Jesus Christ is souls. And if there's something that we have to do to win souls to the kingdom, then that's what we have to do, setting our personal preferences aside. That's true in music. That's true in pews. That's true in every single area of the body of Jesus Christ. And you know what the leaders were actually doing here? They were saying, we are going to unite under the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is that we are all saved by grace and Jesus' works alone. And we are going to lead with that. And the enemy will be silenced because we're united together under that umbrella. In Psalm 131 verse 1, the psalmist says, Behold. Behold is a, an amazing word here. Because the word behold says, pay attention to what I'm about to say. There's something important here that you have to actually catch that is a truth of living in relationship with Christ. Behold how good and pleasant when brothers dwell in unity. How good and pleasant it is. Now this, I put this on the screen uh, so that you can grasp this. This is the covenant community of Israel that the psalmist is actually talking about. That covenant community living in relationship with God, with God as the Father and they as the children, they have a covenant with God. And the psalmist says it is good and it is a pleasant whenever we are unified together. Well, we then, as Gentiles, have been grafted into that covenant community of Israel. Be here on the second week of Revelation because we're going to get into that. We have been drawn into that community. We are spiritual Israel, and we have that covenant. And if we are living in that covenant, then we have to walk in unity because that's what's good, and that's what, that's what is pleasant to God. We are his sons and his daughters. For those of you that have children, just think what it would be like watching your children fight with one another and quarrel with one another and argue with one another and beat each other up and call each other names over silly stuff. I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be a part of this church where we experience the presence of God and we move forward in unity. We walk with him, and we are not a divided body. I'm so thankful that that is how we are in this community. But listen, listen, whenever we experience that, that should make us aware 
that the enemy is going to come and attack so that he can then divide. The enemy doesn't want unity. And whenever he sees it, he's going to find the crack in the armor so that he steps into the situation and he then can begin to move the armor so that we would walk away from the unity in this covenant spiritual Israel that we are all actually a part of. Unity, unity is what the enemy wants to destroy. And every time in the history of the church that the enemy has destroyed unity, it has caused people to walk away from relationship with Jesus Christ. Every time. And that's, that's why the enemy wants to divide. Because he knows unity can only be experienced in the presence of Christ. And whenever we are disunified or whenever we are divided, people walk away from their faith. Because that's when they are not, we are not experiencing the presence of, of Christ. So uh, J.D. Greer actually said it this way. Unity is real people with different perspectives and preferences. I talked about those preferences just a little bit ago. We're real people with different perspectives and preferences who find a larger uniting hope in Jesus Christ. We set aside those preferences. We set aside those perspectives. And we unite under the hope of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, unity is having the same conviction about the gospel and the same understanding about its importance and then attempting to think about everything else in line with that. You see what J.D. Greer is actually reminding us of? He's saying it's okay to have different perspectives. It's okay to have different opinions. It's okay to have different ideas. But what we do is we walk in the hope of relationship with Jesus Christ in his presence, and then we approach those opinions, and then we approach those perspectives through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the grace of God that the enemy was trying to divide and destroy here in in the early Antioch church. J.D. Greer also says, the New Testament church is a place where Jesus is to be in charge. And that, that then is what makes disagreement on secondary things less important. Oh, we can disagree about color of carpet. We can disagree about stained glass windows or no stained glass windows. We can disagree on the color of the walls. We can disagree on methods and pews. And we can disagree on all of that stuff. But we first sit with the Lord and then we approach those things through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We make certain that he is the one that is in charge. And so we ask God. Let's say that we decided we were going to get rid of these chairs and we were going to put in all purple chairs. Now, after you accused me of being crazy, which I'd probably be crazy if I said we're getting all purple chairs. But you can see I'm not the best at color coordinating and picking out the best. and all. That's just not my thing. If I could wear the exact same thing every single day, I would be the happiest person on the face of this earth. I really would. I would wear a white shirt. Never mind. Let's get back to the message. Yeah. So let's say that we were going to get rid of all these chairs and we were going to put in purple chairs. We're going to wrestle with that, right? Well, the way that we get through that division that's going to come up in the body is we sit with the Lord, sit in his presence, and we wrestle with that with the Lord and find out what the preference of the Lord is in accordance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then whenever the gospel doesn't address purple chairs, 
that are in a church, then what we have to do is we have to ask ourselves the reason that we're actually going to do that. Are, are those purple chairs going to bring people to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if the answer is no, then let's move on to the next battle. Let's move on to the next thing that we have to do in order to get people to come to Jesus Christ. And that is why, that is why Peter and the apostles and the elders are addressing this lie and this division from the enemy here. They are saying, you can't do this because it is against the gospel of Jesus Christ. But take a look at what they actually said in their letter here. Let's find what exactly they said here in verse 28. Take a look at verse 28. I put it on the screen here for you because I want you to catch this. You've got to understand that this is where we go when the enemy causes division. They wrestled with this, and they addressed it in the letter back to the, back to the Antioch church. Uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 28. This is what it says. And it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It was good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And as I read that verse, and I sat with my journal, and I wrestled with this verse, it was as if the Holy Spirit said to me, Michael, how many times was it only good with, for you? Hmm. We've got to wrestle with that ourselves. How many times have we made decisions, not just in the church, in your marriage, in your finances, in your career, in your relationships, in every area of our life? How many times in our lives have we made decisions that seemed good to us, but we forgot that first part? It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. You see, if we would put in all purple chairs here in the church... It might seem good to us, but that's not enough because it has to be good to the Holy Spirit too. It's got to be good to the Holy Spirit, and then it's got to be good to us. And you know what? The beautiful pattern that this first Jerusalem council actually gives us is they wrestled with this decision. They just didn't say, hey, this is wrong. They wrestled with it. They resolved this in the presence of God. And God said, it seems good to me. They wrote it in the letter. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. What if in every area of our lives, we resolved every division or a disunity, if you will, every divider in our life by first going to the Holy Spirit and letting God resolve that issue so that it then becomes good to us as well? You see, oftentimes, well, I'll say this for me, often in my life, I think something is good with me, and then I lead with that, and I forget to resolve it first with God, and then let it be good with me. I want to resolve that turmoil inside of me so that I get a good feeling inside of me, when first I should be asking God, God, is this good with you, or is it not good with you? And then having the patience to wait for him to answer the question. If you feel good about it, but you haven't heard that it is good with the Holy Spirit, then you shouldn't do it. It has to first be good with the Holy Spirit, and then we come in alignment under the head of the church. Do you remember what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1? In Colossians chapter 1, Paul, verses 18, 19, and 20, Paul says this, and he, that's Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. And through him, I've highlighted this because I want you to catch this, through him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to himself, that's God, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. You know what that is? That's unity. God is bringing unity back to this world. And things can only be reconciled or experience unity in the presence of God. And so we have to be people committed to this verse, Acts 15, verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and actually to us. So here's what I want you to catch. Unity is relational. You say, well, how do you get unity is relational out of this? How, how is it possible that this is relational? Because the relationship from the Pharisees actually stepped into the church to divide. But yeah, there's a greater area of relationship that's taking place right here. Unity is relational. And here's what I mean. We live in relationship with Holy Spirit, and then we can live in relationship with each other. But you know what our temptation is? We want to live in relationship and unity with each other. And we think, well, I can work it out. I know the right thing to do. I'm smart. I've experienced these things before. I've seen disunity. I've seen division. I've seen heartbrokenness. I've seen finance problems. I've seen marital problems. I've seen family problems. I've seen church problems. I've seen all of the career problems. I've seen all of these problems. And so I've got some knowledge and I've got some experience under my belt. And I know how to resolve these problems. But what we've done is missed the greater relationship that God desires for us that we're actually learning from the Antioch Church and the Jerusalem Council. Unity can only come in relationship. And that first relationship has to be a relationship with Holy Spirit. Remember, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and then to us. So there's two relationships that we have to have here. The first relationship that every one of us have to have is that relationship with Holy Spirit. And then those patterns of practices of sitting unhurried, uninterrupted time with Him, wrestling with Him, the head of the body, the head of all things, so that He is the supremacy. He's the one in charge, not only in the church, in His bride, but in every area of His life. So we go back to live the theology from Genesis 1 and chapter 2. All things were created for Him and by Him. We see that here in Colossians as well. And so then we live in relationship with God, and then we get to live in relationship with each other. Whenever we live in relationship with each other first, we've missed the mark of unity, according to the Scripture. We have to first live in relationship with Him so that we can live in relationship with each other. And listen, that's how we resolve the issues that we have in every area of our life. When you're having marital problems, you go resolve it in the throne room with God, and then you go live in relationship with your spouse. You're having relationship or you're having uh, problems in your job, in your career. You've got this boss that is a silly boss or whatever. You don't resolve that amongst yourself. You go sit with God first. You have that relationship with Holy Spirit. Let him guide you. And then this relationship here is going to resolve itself. You're having financial problems. You don't go borrow more money. You don't go do this, that, and the other. And you don't jump first to Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, which is a good thing and you should be doing. But you don't start there. You start in the throne room with God. You have that relationship with Holy Spirit. And then you deal with everything down here. What happens is we want to live in relationships like this when we first have to be living in relationship like this. And whenever we miss the relationship with him, we will never be united together.
This, this is the message from the Antioch church. You know what? I believe wholeheartedly that we are in likeness to the, to the Antioch church. I believe God is leading us deeper as we go through this study in the book of Acts, leading us back to the roots of his dreams for us, which are so similar to the Antioch church. They brought in people, they raised them up, and they sent them out. They raised up leaders within, and they sent them out, but they did it all under the umbrella of unity. This church in Antioch was a powerhouse of worship. It was a powerhouse of prayer. And they did it all under the umbrella of unity. This was a pivotal, Acts chapter 15 was a pivotal moment in the life of the Antioch church. The enemy had his foot in the door. But God has given us a model to resolve every single issue in our lives in the Antioch church. We live in relationship with him. And then, and only then, do we live in relationship with each other. Unity is relational. We have to remember that. So, two short things that I want to leave you with this morning. How do we experience unity? How is it possible that we experience unity? Well, first, we have to create a culture of grace. That's why I believe God's called us to be a refuge of grace. Because in a refuge of grace, we realize that none of us are perfect. Were the Pharisees perfect in this, in this issue? No, they weren't perfect. They had misinterpreted the gospel. They had gone in the past and tried to bring that in there. None of us are perfect. And that's okay as long as we're living in relationship with God. But if we're not living in relationship with God and we're living in perfect lives, then we always miss it. We always miss it. So we have to have this culture as a refuge of grace so that as we live in relationship with him and then live in relationship with other, we always walk under the umbrella of his unity and then live it out in every single area of our lives. We can only be unified in relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. Let me leave you with this passage of Scripture. If we were fast forward from Colossians 1 to Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul, who was a part of this, who actually left Antioch and went to Jerusalem, lived through that council, then come back to Antioch. Paul said this, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, why would Paul say that? Because the enemy wants to divide us. And the enemy knows that if we don't live in a relationship with the Lord, receiving forgiveness, then there's no way in the world we're ever going to give forgiveness. Do you see how this works? Even in forgiveness. We live receiving forgiveness, and then we live giving forgiveness. That's unity. That's unity. And when somebody hurts you, well, you process your hurt with him and you don't spew that back on the person that then hurt you. This is unity. This is unity. God has given us a model here in the Antioch church. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit. That's here. And to us. That's here. But I want to ask you a question. I've told you about me. I want to lead first and then come back and ask God to help me out. 
That's, that's my default. And I struggle with that. It seemed good to me, so I do it. Well, how many times do you do that? Are you tempted to say, boy, it seems good to me, so let's do it? Seems good. I've wrestled with it, with the brain and my experience. Yeah, I think that's right. But you leave the Holy Spirit out of the equation. How many times do you do that in your life? How many times do you wrestle with that and you think, yep, let's just go. Let's do it, let's do it. And God's just back here saying, hey, wait, wait, can you come back and have a conversation with me first so that I can guide you and so that I can be glorified in this? What are you struggling with in your life right now that you're trying to resolve inside of you? What is that when you lay your head down on your pillow at nighttime that you just wrestle with and it just seemed to won't, it just won't go away and you're just trying to figure out what the next step is and you ask the Lord to help you, you pray about it, but then you get up and you go and you just keep trying to resolve. What is that that's in your life? Is it finances? Is it something with a spouse? Is it something with somebody else, a job, some friends? Is it something at church? What, what is it? I think you know. I think the Lord has brought some things to your mind this morning. This morning, I want to encourage you to lay those things down at his feet. And stop going here first relationally. And this morning, make a reminder and make a commitment to first go here with him. But you know what that does? If you make a bar like this, and then you make a bar like this, do you know what that does? It makes a cross. Do you know what a cross reminds us of? The grace of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to ask you to lay this relationship at the feet of Jesus and say, God, it may have seemed good to me in the past, but now I'm asking you, does it seem good to you? Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.